And adults, if you have your Bibles, if you would go to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3. We want to continue this message entitled, Let My People Go. This is the second part. We began the first part right before missions convention. And we'll kind of make a bookend of it, completing our thought. Exodus chapter number 3. Beginning with verse number 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue or deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way The Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Let my people go, part two. Second part of this message and. We see in it the call and the need. And this morning we're going to focus on the preparation of that deliverer, of that vessel that God uses. The background of our story is from the book of Exodus. And we see the need here. We see the need where God's people are in Egypt and they're in bondage. And God says, I I hear their cries and I, I see their suffering. And I'm concerned about their being. It's so good to know there's a God that is concerned about the plight and the, and the sorrow of man. It's so good to know that there is a God that is not out there somewhere, not concerned or not interested, but there is a God that loves us and there is a God that cares about us and is concerned. If you're here today and you're battling and you're wondering, does God care? I want you to know from the beginning, He cares, He cares greatly, He cares about you intimately, He loves you with an everlasting love and He calls you this day to seek Him and draw near to Him and allow Him to enter into that situation and watch what His amazing grace can do. Somebody say amen. Amen. Some 400 years earlier, Joseph had been sent of God to Egypt. And God used Joseph to um, save and to lead Egypt in a time of terrible famine. Pharaoh had been indebted to Joseph and invited his family to to come down and to live in Egypt. But now, a, a few hundred years later, Things have changed. Things don't always stay the same. Things have changed. And a new king has come into power. And this Pharaoh, he did not remember Joseph. 
He did not remember all the good things that he had done. And he saw God's people not as a blessing, but as a threat. So this Pharaoh attempts to destroy the people of God and ultimately the plan of God. He enslaves, he oppresses the people of God. He took away their freedom. He put over them hard taskmasters and he attempted and this Pharaoh is a, a type of that devil. This the Pharaoh tries to kill off all the male Jewish babies. He's a murderer. There was a need for a deliverer. We read how God said, I have heard their cry and I've seen their situation and I am moved by their suffering. And he says, I've decided to come down. And that's where Moses comes in. And that's where you and that's where I come in. You see, when God comes down, He comes down through you. He comes down through me. When the living God sees a need, when He hears a cry, He lays His hand upon one of His people. And it's through God's people that God brings His power and His hope and His healing and His comfort and His compassion to them that are broken and bruised, that are in darkness, that are in denial. Moses was sent, and just as Moses was sent, so you and I are sent. How often have we seen in the Scripture where God says, I sought for a man. I looked for a man. I needed someone to go. I needed someone to stand. I needed someone to speak up. I needed someone to sacrifice. And this day, God is still looking for men and women that say, here I am. Send me, Lord. Use me at Walmart. Use me on the other side of the ocean. But, oh God, I'm Yours. Take my life and let it be spent for that which is eternal and glorious. Moses was sent, and just as he was sent, so are we. Jesus said it Himself. John 20, verses 21 and 22. John 20, verses 21 and 22. So Jesus said to them, Peace, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Then the Bible says He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He commissions, and then He empowers. Just like us. The need for a deliverer. There was a need for a deliverer. And there still is. For man's condition and God's compassion requires it and demands it. There's a need for deliverers. Man's condition. All are lost and need a Savior. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's none of us that in ourselves can earn our righteous standing before the living God. Man's condition demands a deliverer. But God's compassion, oh, how it demands and it commands. Uh, for God, the Bible is so clear, He's not willing that any perish. And God loves this lost and fallen world so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die for them, to shed their blood for them, that whoever you might be, you don't got to stay in that place. Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you. And there is a need this morning for deliverers to go in His power and to go with His message and go anointed of His Spirit to do the works that God has ordained for us to do. There is a need and then there was a sending. The sending of the deliverer. For the Great Commission is still relevant and real. Still the heart and the priority of God. But before the sending, there was a preparing. That will be our focus this morning. The preparation of that deliverer. 
You'll see in chapters 2 and 3 an overview of the preparation of Moses as God readied him to be that instrument to deliver the people from Egypt. And God prepares us for effective service. Every person God uses is God prepared in one way or the other. Preparation and progress should be a perpetual and never-ending thing in our Christian experience and in our Christian walk. You see, God uses us as He prepares to use us. It never ends because we never um, fully arrive and we never fully finish our work until we see Him face to face. The great Apostle Paul expresses this truth. He, he reveals to us traits that make the preparation and the process of God's dealings effective and fruitful. He writes in Philippians 3, verses 12 through, through 14, he says, not that I've already obtained it. He says, I, I haven't arrived. Not that I've already become perfect. But I press on to take hold of Paul saying, listen, I'm not there yet. I've done a lot. I've accomplished a lot. I've seen a lot. But I don't think for a moment I'm there yet. But I'm going to keep reaching for it. I'm keeping hungering for it. I keep desiring to be the one He's called me to be. I keep hungering to mature and advance from faith to faith and glory to glory that I might continue to please and honor the One that saved me. Not that I've already obtained this or already been perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me again. He says, I'm not there yet. He says, brothers, I don't consider myself as being there yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and reaching or straining to what's ahead, I won't allow the past to make me complacent. I won't allow the past defeats to make me embittered. I'll give them their proper place, but my focus is forward, but my destiny is forward in Christ. Brothers, I don't consider myself as taking hold of yet. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me upward in Christ Jesus. And Paul in these few verses is using for, for the, um, the, the metaphor of an athlete. He's using an illustration of an athlete. And within just these three verses, he gives us at least four traits that every one of us really needs to, to remind ourselves of so that we will not waste the dealings of God. We'll get the most out of the dealings of God and we will allow God to make us and use us and use us and make us. And we'll never cease in this divine process of the kingdom. He'll use us as He's preparing to use me. He'll bless me as He's stretching me to bless me even in a greater measure. As we look at these few verses, we see Paul gives us one key to successful, maturing, Christian, fruitful Christianity. Number one, he had a divine dissatisfaction. He says, listen, I might be the Apostle Paul and God has used me and I've met him face to face. I've been encountered with God, but I have not arrived yet. There's still more of Jesus for me. There's still more of serving the Lord for me. He had, number one, a divine dissatisfaction. Complacency is a curse to Christianity in the present hour. To become complacent 
is the enemy of being faithful and pursuing and advancing in God. So Paul says, number one, I have a divine dissatisfaction. I'm thankful for what God has done, but I'm hungry for more of what God wants to do. There's a divine dissatisfaction, but there's also divine devotion. For he says, through this one thing I do, he says, I'm focused now. Many people get caught up in the world of busyness. You're distracted here. You're distracted there. And the most important things get laid by the wayside and you're no longer pressing for this one thing. You're stretched out doing this and doing that, but the eternal things are taking a back seat. What happened to that calling? What happened to that passion? What happened to that burning desire that once was so bright within your heart? Paul says, I have a dissatisfaction, but I have a devotion. This one thing I do. Everything else can take a back seat, but this one thing I do, I'm going to press. I'm going to reach. I want to be the one God's called me to be. I want to fulfill the purpose that God has placed upon my life. Paul says, let us have a divine dissatisfaction. Let us have a divine devotion. Let us have a divine, what can we call it, a a direction in our lives. Where Paul says, "Uh, forgetting what's behind and I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead of me. I'm going forward because God is calling each one of His people, march forward in My name. Grow forward in My name. Advance forward in My name. Don't allow things of the past, whether they're accomplishments that we can tend to allow them to make us complacent, or they can be tragedies and and, and negative things that we can cause to cripple us and so embitter us that we give up. But Paul says, don't allow those things to hold you back. Don't allow those things to trip you up, but have a determination and a focus. Go forward in God. Reach forward for the prize. Continue to believe. Continue to expect. Continue to grow as God calls you to bigger and greater and more blessed things. Paul said, I have a divine dissatisfaction. Yet I have a devotion and I have a direction and I have a determination. I love how he says that. Paul writes, I press on towards the goal and I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to be determined because I want you to know something, child of God. There'll be things in this life that try to derail you, that try to distract you, that try to discourage you. We all face those things. And every now and again, if we're honest, we can be honest in church. We come to a point where we say, you know what? I've kind of cooled off. You know what? I've been spending all this time doing this and that and it really doesn't matter in eternity. All of us go through that. But we have to become not only a people that have a direction, but a determination that I refuse to allow the things of this world to hold me back or knock me off course. But I will continue to press and reach and give the proper effort to be the one God's called me to be and to do the work God's chosen for me to do. Somebody say amen. I might have come too fast. Get the tape and write it down. Don't be content. Don't be complacent. It's a curse of the modern. It's a curse. It's a curse. It's a curse. It's a curse. Because we get acclimated. Some of you used to go to church three times a week. Now to get out once a month, you get acclimated. Say out. Say amen. Say preach it, pastor. Preach it. But go ahead. Talk with me. You can talk. What happened? There used to be a fire. There used to be a zeal. There used to be a passion. 
No, other things. Those other things don't matter nearly as much as the things of God. Looking for vessels. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many God has desire and designs to use in a greater, more fulfilled, more fruitful way. But there has to be a mutual response in a partnership between us in the Spirit of God. He will use us presently. And He desires to presently. But He also desires to do more. Therefore, He'll use us in a greater measure. So along the way, He prepares us for what He's preparing for us. He'll use me while at the same time He's allowing things to happen that are preparing me, that are maturing me, that are smoothing me and pruning me. God's preparation of His vessel. We see this throughout the Scripture. Old Testament, New. We see it in the prophets. We see it in the priests. We see it in judges. We see it in the kings. We see it in the patriarchs. How He takes His vessels and He works them and molds them. God's preparation of His vessel. The potter's wheel of the developing of the instrument of God. It includes the breaking and the building. The emptying and the filling. God teaches us and God tests us and God stretches us and God trains us. Our loyalties and our motives, our obedience, our sincerity, our willingness to get back up when we've fallen down because everybody falls down. But the ones that make it in God are the ones that get back up and grab onto the grace of God and claim the mercy of God and press on into the goodness of God. All those things must be proven in my life as God proves me. He'll use me here while He's proven me for there. He'll use me here where really He's developing me for. We learn dependency. We'll learn focus. We'll learn faith. We'll learn sacrifice. We'll learn surrender. We'll learn submission. Again, we, we see this pattern, the preparation of the vessel throughout the Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament, so many examples. We can look at the Joshua's and the Elisha's and the patriarchs and the Jacob's and the prophets. But we look at um, one example, David's mighty men. Everybody remember David's mighty men? Oh, they're some of my favorites. I like Shama. I mean, I mean, everybody runs and Shama just stands. Amen. I love it. I love it. You don't know Shama? Oh, you're missing one of the best. I mean, that man of God, he's out there in a pea patch. Can you imagine? A pea patch. Amen. And the devil's crowd shows up and everybody runs. People are like that. You know, they got your back until trouble comes. And then sometimes you can't find a Shama. I said, you can run if you want. Man, I, I, this is my pea patch. Amen. God gave me this pea patch and no Philistine's going to take it. And the Bible says he just stood and God brought a victory. Folks, you'll realize if we'll stand in faith, God will work his wonders in our lives. But the mighty man, David's mighty man, they came to him in debt, distressed. They're on the run. <laughs> How do we like to say it? Broke, busted, and disgusted. Yes, yes. That's how they came, but that's not how they left. And now we read about them, and they're known as mighty, as revered, honored warriors. Aren't you glad for the transforming power of God? 
that we can come to Him one way, but we don't have to stay that way. He transforms us and makes us into what He wants us to be. We can identify with those mighty members. When we came to Jesus, hey, we didn't have it all together. We still don't have it all together, but thank God we're not what we used to be. But we came to Him and now we can sing a testimony of what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus. And one of the keys to your growth not having a holy hot chop bop you on the head. It's not reading the, the next paperback book that comes out, Five Quick Steps. To you got more Five Quick Steps. You're never going to grow if you reject every time God's going to start helping you grow. You, you can't grow if we resist or reject the dealing hand of God that is sent our way to cause that growth. One of the keys to growing in God is to trust the potter and to stay on his potter's wheel. Not to run when times get uncomfortable, but to learn how to abide and remain and allow the hands of the Master to work his good work in our lives. For as we grow in God, sometimes things need to be broken off. Other things need to be built up. Some things need to be birthed. Some things need to be stretched. Other things just need to be pruned. But our testimony as believers is pretty much as we allow God to work in us, I have been changed. I am being changed. And praise God, one glad morning, I shall be forever changed. But God, He works, He prepares that vessel. In the New Testament, we see Jesus' disciples. Now, there's a perfect example of how the Lord calls a man and, and welcomes a man, invites a man, but then changes a man. Jesus took them just like they were. They had faults and they had flaws. They had weaknesses just like us. They had rough edges. They had some misconceptions about Him. They had backgrounds that all weren't so pretty. But praise God, they didn't stay that way. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you. And He did. And He'll do the same to us. As we follow Him and we allow Him to work and we submit to His dealings, we can become. In fact, I think one of the most precious examples in our New Testament of the preparation of that vessel and how God sees this, we, we find it in Peter's first encounter with Jesus. Jesus' first words to Peter really encapsulates this thought. The preparation and the transformation of that deliverer, of that disciple. John 1 and 42. Let's look at that together. John 1 and 40. And this is their first encounter. Peter's brother Andrew had met Jesus, and Andrew was great. He's not known as a great speaker, but every time you turn around, he's bringing someone to Jesus. If you're not a great orator, just bring them to Jesus. Amen? If you don't have all the answers, have enough to invite them and bring them to Jesus. Once they get there, he'll take it. Amen? The tag you're it, Jesus will take it from there. But here, Andrew brings Peter, and this is their first encounter, and I want us to look at this, and I want you to get with me here, get a little deeper than normal. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be, you will be called Cephas Peter. Let's break this down and see the 
the, the, the vision of God. We'll understand the, um, the um, application of God. Number one, we see Jesus' penetrating look. Because when it says that he brought him to, and Jesus looked at him, he looked at him, and he looked through him, is what it's saying. This word is not just a glance, it's not just a, it, 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 it's a glaze, it's a gaze, it's an intense thing. He looked through him and he saw everything. He's looking at this one called Simon. And, and, and he saw him, he saw his past, he saw his future. He saw his flaws, he saw his potential. Yet he says, follow me. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus knows all about us. He knows our secrets we keep, but he still says, follow. He knows us, yet He still loves us. He still desires us, and He still calls us. So this word look, it describes a concentrated, intent gaze that does not see only the superficial things that we are so good at. He sees more than what lies at the surface. He reads a man's heart. His penetrating look, where He sees us, and he knows us, yet he still loves us, and he still calls us, and he still invites us. Come to me, follow me, allow me. Jesus is penetrating, look, and then there's Jesus as he discerns Simon's character. He says, you are Simon. At this point in Peter's life, he's more of a reed than a rock. He'll be a rock one day when Jesus gets done with him. But right now, Peter's just kind of, Peter's just kind of, he's, I know you, you are, I know who you are. You're inconsistent, you're unstable, you're impulsive. But if you'll follow me, if you'll let me, I can change you, and I can use you, and I can make you strong, and steady, and dependable, and consistent. You can't build too much on a reed, but when I get done with you, I can build on a rock. He had a penetrating look, and then he had the discernment of his character, and then he had the description of his destiny. And it's so beautiful. Peter, he looks at Peter. You are Simon. You shall be. And he speaks prophetically. You shall be a rock. You shall be a pillar in my church. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, destinies are changed when Jesus Christ is allowed to rule and to work and to have His way in our lives. We can't fake Him. And sometimes we wonder why He brings us through things. It's because He sees us and He knows us and He's trying to work in us. So the best thing we can do is just be honest and realize I might be able to hide it from this one. I might be able to hide it from that one. But Lord, you know me through and through. When you look at me, it's not just a surfacey thing. It's not just out here. You see the heart. You know where I'm weak and I need to be made strong. You know where I'm struggling and I need to be steady. You know where I fail again and again. And that part of my life needs to be remedied and operated on. You know it. And if I follow you, He'll bring us down paths that work on those things, that expose things, that rebuild things, that restore things, all as I follow Him. The education of life isn't go run away to a school somewhere, but just walk with the Lord and allow Him to lead you in the paths of right. They're not always easy paths. They're not always comfortable paths. But if He is leading you, He'll work in that thing and there's a purpose in that thing and He'll develop us and He'll mature us and He'll refine us and He'll make us 
understanding the perspective in the ways of God. Perspective is important. Understanding God's perspective and how He looks at us is so helpful in how we respond and how we obey, how we pursue, how we submit. But again, perspective is important. I read a story the other day about perspective, how things look, how we look at things. Back in the 90s, the Chicago Bulls had a rookie basketball player by the name of Stacy King. And Stacy King one night scored one point, one point in a basketball game. Same night that the Hall of Famer Michael Jordan scored 69 points, 69 points. Well, afterwards, when the press was in the locker rooms and they asked Stacy about the game, his analysis, his perspective was, I will always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I Combined to score 70 points. That's one good way of looking at it. Amen. Interesting perspective. That's all right if it works for you. Perspective. Let us never forget God's perspective concerning the possibility of a man or a woman fully devoted to Him. That allows God to work His work. You see, the encounter that we read about between Jesus and Peter, this encounter tells us how Jesus looks at a man. He does not only see what a man is, He also sees what a man can become. Isn't that good news? You don't got to stay angry. You don't got to stay bound in that area. You don't got to stay weak and hurting. He's a healer. He's a restorer. He's a cleanser. He's a transformer. He sees not only the actualities in a man, but He sees the possibilities of a man. Jesus sees us not only as we are, but what we can be. And He says to us, Come to Me. Give your life to Me. And I will make you what you have in you to be. Instead of wasted potential and unfulfilled promises, there can be a fruitful life and a fulfilling life. That is what is produced when we follow Him and submit to Him and come under His yoke and allow Him to work His good work. Let's be honest, if you know the Gospels at all, Peter was anything but a rock when Jesus called him. He was headstrong and he was opinionated. He was putting his foot in his mouth. He was impulsive and he was unstable. One day he's doing this, one day he's doing that. He's just here, he's there. He's getting revelation one minute and Jesus ain't get behind me, Satan the next minute. I mean, he's just not, he's not there. But when Jesus got done with him, oh, glory to God. Tell your neighbor, Jesus ain't done with me yet. He's not done with me. I'm going to get there, man. I'm going to get, I might not be there now, but by the grace of God, we're going to get there. Can you say amen? That's why we keep coming back. We keep coming back because we need to come back. We keep coming back. We haven't arrived. i got to come back. And that's the trick of the devil sometimes. You know, people look at themselves and they get discouraged. Why even bother? It's never going to work. I'm never going to grow. That's the lie of the devil. We're all here this morning because we haven't attained it yet. We haven't accomplished it yet. we still got to be developed. we still got to be broken. We're on the journey, but praise God, He's faithful. Hallelujah. 
hand of God, the hand of God. The dealings of God are good. They're not always comfortable, but they're good if they're coming from Father's hand. Oh yeah, Peter, anything but a rock. But when Jesus got through with him, hallelujah. One day he's going to be through with me, amen? When I see him face to face, Jesus named him not for what he was, but for what, by God's grace, he would become. Don't give up on yourself. Learn how to be honest. Learn how to repent. Learn how to get back up. Learn how to say, I'm sorry. Learn how to say, Jesus, here I am. Keep working in me, Lord. Keep working in me, Lord. You see, because disqualification only comes. The work of God is a work of grace. None of us earn or deserve anything. Work of grace. Amen? That means God don't need me. He don't need you. He's chosen us. What a pleasure. What a privilege. He, he, God could obliterate us, gone on, done his own thing. God don't. But he needs me. Oh, it's by his grace and mercy. He chose me. And he chose you. And he forgave us. And, and growing in God, it's all a work of grace. And the only ways that I really disqualify myself or reject is either A, either I reject the call. I refuse to follow. I refuse to, to submit to the dealing. You know, some people follow Jesus until he challenges them and then they go. Some follow Jesus as long as the loaves and fish are multiplying. But when the call to die to self, then we kind of, we go back and we, we just, you know, when's the next fish fry? Leave me alone. I, I don't want anything to do with dying to myself. So one way that, that I really get disqualified is I reject the call. As he calls me, I say no. As he leads me, I reject the path. I know that he's called me to take this. It's going to prune me. It's going to stretch me. It's going to cost me. And there I, I have forfeited the purpose and ultimately the prize. But the other type of way that I can disqualify myself from that victory and that place in God He has for me is by refusing to believe the promise that I can be. Many people, the devil lies to them and they've lived such messed up lives. That sometimes just a, the promise of you can be is too much for them. And they just give up and they just say, I never will. But the promise doesn't come from a philosophy or religion. The promise comes from the King of glory Himself. He says, I know you. You are, but you shall be. You can be. It's a possibility for you to be all that God would have you to be if you follow Him and you allow Him and His Spirit works in you and His Word guides you and His hand shapes and molds and prunes your life. I don't have to be disqualified, but I will be if I reject the call or refuse to believe the promise. For if I fail to believe the promise, I will fail to pursue the One who brings the promise to pass. And that's all. But if I'll do my part, you see, if I'll do my part, if I'll do my part, Jesus says, you shall be. And you can overcome. And you can become. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, anybody getting anything this morning? Amen. Moses was prepared. 
Moses. Most of you are familiar with this story. It's by the hand of God's providence that he was uh, rescued from a certain death in the Nile as a baby and raised as a prince in Egypt. He was educated to the highest standard of his day. The Oxford of ancient Egypt. Science, math, chemistry. Egyptian engineering and astronomy are still marveled at. He was a military officer, trained in warfare and in strategy. He had experience, he had education, he had connections. He had a following. He was young, he was strong, he was mighty in word and in deed. But how many of us know, and if you don't know, you'll find out as you walk with the Lord like we all have. How many know to be the Lord's deliverer, the Lord's disciple, you need more than earthly training. Thank God for earthly, but you need more than that. That's not all. You need the school of the Spirit. You see, Moses failed in his first attempt to deliver the people. And many times we fail when we try to take matters into our own hands and And he was forced to flee. He became a wanted man, a murderer. And he was forced to flee. Yet his failure became his recruiter. And he was recruited to the desert school of the spirit. He spent 40 years in Egypt, raised as a prince. All the privileges of royalty. The education, the training, the finery, all that. And he spent 40 years in the backside of a desert, God's school of the Spirit. Oh, some people don't make it through that school. One, one school tends to foster self. Another school kills self. For 40 years, Moses learned in solitude and obscurity. He learned to serve and he learned to wait. He learned to obey. He found out his earthly resume could not get the job done without heaven's blessing. The discipline of the desert is something we all need. And if, you, if you're an aggressive person, if you're a strong-willed person, you need it. I'm speaking from myself. You need it more than most because the desert really works in. It sobered him. It trained him. It tamed him. It humbled him. It matured him. But when God felt, he was ready. God had not forgotten his people. God had not ceased to hear their cry. For God's delays are not evidence of unconcern. For He hears our groans. He sees our plight. He feels our sorrow. And He remembers His covenant. What He promised, He will perform. For He will never break His word or forsake His people. And when the time is right, God begins to move. And maybe... He's getting ready to move in someone's life right now. Maybe today's the day to lay it all down, to set aside those things that have been entangling and holding and hindering and to lay it down that God in due time can lift you up. Next week we're going to get to that burning bush and we're going to glean from that encounter. We're going to glean from that encounter. You know, it's a terrible thing. Terrible thing to be sent, terrible thing to go without having a real encounter with the Almighty. Without hearing His voice. Without responding to His holiness. Without knowing His heart or being touched by His fire 
or being sent by his authority. Moses is going to encounter all of that next week at the burning bush. This week, let my people go. We recognize the need. Man's condition and God's compassion requires it and demands it. And we offer ourselves as believers to do our part for the great commission of our God. We recognize God will use us as He's preparing to use us. We don't confuse that it never ends. It's just something that happens and happens and happens. The preparation of the vessel from cover to cover, that's the way of the kingdom. God uses us now while He prepares and develops to use us for even more. But my response to the dealing and the hand of God, my consecration will have much to determine how and to what measure God can use me. Let us do our part not to limit God's working in or through our life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Let me finish with a story, but it'll make a point. It'll make a point as we come to the end. A minister is waiting in line to have his car filled with gas just before a long holiday weekend. Labor Day, Memorial Day weekend. Back in the days, they used to pump it for you. Gas shortages. Remember those days? All right. Well, the attendant was working as quick as he could, but there were a lot of cars ahead of the minister, and he waited and waited. Finally, the attendant motioned the preacher towards the vacant pump. Reverend said the young man, I'm really sorry. I apologize for the delay. It seems as if everyone waits until the last minute to get ready for a long trip. Preacher laughed and said, yeah, I know what you mean. It's the same in my business. So I know to laugh or to say, ouch. Procrastination can be costly. Obviously, when it comes to salvation in our soul, we know that. But even beyond that, the procrastination to really get serious about serving the Lord and being wholehearted in our Christianity. Because there are certain things that can be missed and really never regained when we procrastinate with God. Again, let's not put off. There's a price to pay for spiritual procrastination. Well, let's make sure we do our part to offer ourselves to God and be willing to lay aside anything that's hindering us from allowing Him to work in me or following the path He's calling me. Amen? All right. We're going to open the altar. We're going to pray the prayer. Open our altars. If you're here today and you've just been kind of going through your Christianity just really kind of haphazard, you just kind of flow it in and flow out. God says it's time to stop. And it's time to make an altar and give me first place in your life and living out that decision. And it's time to begin to see things in life not only as necessary evils of a fallen world, but to see these things as the hand of the potter molding us and shaping us through the circumstances of life. Recognizing That when our steps are ordered by the Lord, even the discomforts and even the trials of life have the working and potential of God to prepare us to be used by God. May we have a different perspective and a different response to the dealings of life that God might take us.
to that place and use us in that measure that He wants to use. So stand with me, please. Father, we love You. 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 Now, folks, if you're here today and things are not right, please come and make a fresh altar. If you're here today and you just need prayer because you have something in your body that needs a healing or you just want someone to pray with you for encouragement, then please, after we pray, come down and we'll pray with you. But we pray, Father, we thank You for Your Word that teaches us Your ways. We thank You for Your Word that teaches us Your ways, that gives us examples of how You deal with men. We thank You, Lord, for the wonderful example of Peter and how You were able to look at him and see him, but You didn't reject him. You didn't pass him by. You called him. You invited him. In the same way, Lord, You saw us just as we were. But you didn't pass us by. You loved us and you called us and you invited us to follow you. And as we came, you washed us, you pruned us, you filled us, and you haven't stopped. You've called us to follow you that you might make us. Make us into the men and women you want us to be. Helping us to grow and mature every step of the way. Helping us to be fruitful and effective in our labors for the King of Kings. So, Lord, we want to be useful vessels. Lord, we want to be instruments that you can use any way you desire to use us. And we know on our end of things, it begins with a surrender and a consecration of our lives. It begins, oh God, as we say, Lord, we make a fresh altar. We make a fresh decision this day. We will be a people of a divine dissatisfaction. We will hunger and we will thirst for more of you. We will stir up our faith to seek you like we did when we first met you. We will get our focus on that which really matters. And with the determination of faith, Jesus, we're going to press forward to please you, to grow in you, and to allow you to do your work in our lives. Now, Father, as we come to this altar, I pray that you would just grant refreshing, grant the new cleansing, that you would embrace and receive the fresh surrender of those that are getting ready to start a new season and to declare a new beginning as they turn it up and begin to press forward in you with a new and a fresh zeal and devotion. And Father, we pray that if there be anyone here today that's sick in their body, that needs a touch and a healing that only you can grant, Father, as they come with expectation. We pray that you let your power flow and let your healing manifest quickly, sovereignly, completely. Anyone here today that's struggling with restlessness, they're restless. It's hard to relax. It's hard to get rest. 
anxious. We pray, O oh God, as they draw near to you, your divine power will come upon them, free them, and let them know peace that passes understanding. Let them know that inner rest that comes, the comfort that comes from the abiding of your spirit. Now, Father, bless this time at the altar. Let your power flow freely like the river of God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, let's sing this song one time through. If you need to respond, move, move, please. Come. Let God touch you. Let God work in you. Let it go.